Okay, so uh, welcome back to Unstandardized English. This is Justin P.B. Gerald, J.P.B. Gerald, once again. I'm here today with Jason Stone, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, her different and interesting path through the ELT field. She's done some things that a lot of the people who listen to this podcast may or may not have done, and so she's going to bring a different and unique perspective to what we do. So, welcome, Jake. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, we've been trying to figure this out for a few months. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and like, we started emailing about it in October or something like that. So, you know, I'm glad to finally close the loop, as one said. <laughs> Likewise, me too. So, um, some of the questions that I sent you, but uh, the first one, just tell me a little bit, broadly speaking, before I get into the specific ones about the, the path of your career from when you started in language to where things are now. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, first of all, I want to apologize. My voice is kind of uh, shaky. I didn't have a voice last week. I've been a little bit sick, so if it goes, that's why. Um, but in terms of my career, um, I, I, I was always a theater girl. Um, I was a performer, musical theater uh, represent. And um, I realized very early on, though, that that's not what I wanted to do full time. I didn't want to do the audition life. That's not what was in my interest. And um, I kind of got into marketing for theater. And that was really interesting. And then when I was in college, it just wasn't, it wasn't quite enough. And I mean, I could say that now, obviously, but there was something that wasn't clicking for me. Um, and I had studied abroad um, in Salamanca, Spain, which is about two hours northwest of Madrid. And it was just a summer. Um, it's what I could swing, and um, I just said my family could swing, and I fell in love with the idea of living abroad. Just that month changed my entire life, and that was after my sophomore year in college, and I ended up telling everybody when I came back, I was like, I'm moving there when I get back, uh, when I graduate, rather, um, and they were all like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, um, but little did they know, um, but I wanted to figure out a way to be able to incorporate my work and what I knew best and what I was most passionate about um, into whatever I was going to do over there. And there were a lot of complications, you know, I know that you, um, you in South Korea. Yes. Right. Um, it, it's a little bit different and, and you probably know this and most of the listeners probably know this, but it's not that you go through a program necessarily. Um, most people that go to Europe, not all, um, there's a bunch of exceptions, um, but a lot of people just kind of show up <laughs> and they do their TEFL course and then they start teaching. And that's what, what I ended up doing. Um, I got inspired by this, this man who ran this program, um, which is now called United TEFL, I believe. And they have a couple of different locations and, I was like, you know what, here's my plan. I'm going to move to Spain. I'm going to do the abroad thing for a year. And I'm going to hopefully get to perform and do all these things. And maybe I can even incorporate that as my teaching. Who knows? Um, spoiler alert, I did. And I don't think that I even fully believed that I was going to be able to do it. So I ended up learning how to teach English because you have to learn how to teach it. Um, ended up learning how to teach it, starting to teach it, learning even more about how to teach it. And then realizing that my theater background was actually a lot more helpful and a lot more connected than I even suspected it would ever be. So I started kind of offering these classes saying that there was an emphasis on obviously conversation and I was using theatrical exercises to get people to um, produce language. So it's not that you're going to get up on stage and do this performance, but it's like theatrical exercises, theater games. And so I was working with kids um, 
from three to teen. And then everybody all the way up, my oldest student ever was probably 78 years old. And I would always do these things. And a lot of times people didn't even realize what I was doing because a lot of it was just seen as games or activities. Um, but I also had very specific things that I had for my theatrical training. Um, and that's how I kind of got into that. And so it was, I, I became that girl in Barcelona, which is where I eventually moved to um, and spent eight years in. Um, they were like, oh, yeah, she does it. She makes class really interesting. It's like, it's like nothing, you know, she just talks. You just talk. You guys just like, you know, have a good time. And people started to lose their fear because they knew they didn't have to perform. They knew that it was interactive. It was realistic um, learning. It wasn't just sitting there and learning the tenses and nothing more. And it, it really took off. That's as much of a condensed version as I can probably tell you. That would make sense. Um, you, you, you talked about how you were in Spain for a month in college, um, mm -hmm. and it sort of inspired a lot of your desire. I uh, mm -hmm. had a, a similar, not Spain, but I, I lived in France for the month when I was 16, mm -hmm. and I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be a teacher, no. but I knew part of me was just like, you know, I had just this, this experience being away and I wanted to get away and I lived in the same place my whole life. You know, I now I'm back living in the same place and I love living here. But, um, you know, like, and then even when I went to college, I went to college 40 miles south of here. So right. it wasn't really very far away. And I said, you know, I want to get somewhere. Now it's a very privileged thing to say, like, oh, I just don't have to go somewhere. <laughs> but uh, it's part of the reason, you know, that I was fortunate enough to have that experience when I was younger and then to think about, you know, doing it as part of my profession uh, mm -hmm. after the fact. The interesting thing, because this is what I talked about way back in my first episode about being an expat, is that, you know, you are thought of differently because you talk about people who go to Europe and they show up get get a job. Or, I mean, they show up and they get a, uh, you know, a visa and get a job. Yeah. Um, and... I wonder, I'm off, um, how, how that affects the way people are seen in working in Europe versus I know when I was in Korea, you, you couldn't just go, I mean, you can go for 90 days, but you couldn't just go there, show up, and then get a job because you didn't work mm -hmm. there. Yep. Right? I mean, you could under, under the table and, you know, break the law or whatever, but like, right. um, you, you, you got, you couldn't, you didn't even buy the ticket, they would send you a ticket, or they send you the money for the ticket, or whatever. Um, and so it's a totally different framework. So yeah. I wonder how the Spanish, I mean, like the people from Spain, um, saw the people who came and, uh, had that type of work. I don't just mean your students. I mean, like the general citizens. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually that's a great question. Um, and something I haven't thought about in a bit cause I've been back for three years now. Um, well, from all back it was seen as a very transient people mostly didn't take it seriously because nobody was there long enough to really and I'm I'm generalizing of course there were people there that had been there for a long time teaching English but overall it was a lot of young people a lot of people that just kind of came to do the year thing um but didn't take it seriously that you know had their TEFL degree they taught here they taught there a lot of people had to teach under the table. I mean, I will be the first person to admit I taught under the table for a very long time. I established myself under the table. That's a really weird sentence to say, but um, that's kind of how it was. And the system, and I, I eventually went through the proper um, thing to do that, to, to become legal, which actually required you, and this is now old news, it's, it's different now, but to become legal the way that I did, you had to be there illegally 
contributing to society in a way and participating and learning the language now, not just Spanish, but Catalan, which is what they speak in the, in the Barcelona region, Catalonia. Um, so like after you prove yourself, you could apply and then they'll be like, oh, okay, you've been like a really good person here and you've been contributing to society and now you can come along. So it's this weird loophole. Um, but either way, back to how people see um, ESL teachers, you know, people want to pay them $10 an hour because they're like, you're not going to stay here. Um, or, you know, I've had 20 English teachers in the past three years, you know, well, how are you different? Um, and part of my work, apart from being a teacher, um, I also had taken over this group that a friend of mine had started um, called the Barcelona Temple Teachers Association, um, or as I like to refer to it as BTTA. And that was a, just a Facebook group of teachers that were based in Barcelona or that had been there. And my friend started off with the group pretty small and she would have book exchanges or just kind of like little, you know, parties where we talk about like our students. And I don't mean parties like party. I mean like, you know, these dorky get togethers that were really, really nice. Um, and when she left and I took it over, I saw it as an opportunity to build more of a community um, and a way to build more professional development um, and not certainly by me only. I mean, I had my sector to offer, which was the games and the activities and things like that. Um, but bringing in people to teach us how to become a, free, a proper freelancer in Spain, uh, to teach us, which is called um, autonomo. Um, Americans, how do you become legal? Um, everybody else, how do you become freelance? Or, you know, how do you um, talk to your school about your rights, you know, should we unionize, should we not? So it became, yeah, you know, un, under my leadership, you know, and I'm, I'm very proud of this, it became a little bit more, and my goal ultimately was to make people take this profession more seriously because I wanted it to be something like in South Korea or in Japan where you, you know, maybe somebody's not sending away to bring in an English teacher quite yet, but when people come over, they're not just thinking, oh, I might leave in December, I might not. It's November, you know, so I wanted, I wanted people to take it more seriously from both sides. And in order to get paid a proper wage, you have to commit, you know, a certain extent. Um, so that was really interesting work to do as well. I'm writing notes down about this. I'm not just, not no, 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 you're good. Um, so just tell me a little bit about uh, being in Spain now. So Spain operates in this interesting you know place right mm -hmm. because they speak Spanish well they speak Castilian Spanish you know mm -hmm. and uh, I know you were a different part of the country and there's always that like there was this big thing right a month ago when Antonio Banderas nominated for an Oscar for the first color and they were like no no right uh, this is insane right so mm -hmm. there's this people outside Spain operates because it's Western Europe, but Spanish-speaking uh, in this interesting spot in terms of color, let's put it that yeah. way. And then there's someone like you who comes from the United States. Mm -hmm. And here we know, okay, person color. All right, I got it. We got it. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> over there, it's like not only is it, Europe, but it's Spain specifically. So what I'm really saying is, you know, what were the experiences like being 
uh, person of color, woman of color, teacher of color, and an American teacher of color. All of the things, all the, <laughs> all the identities stacked on top of each other that you had yeah. to navigate being there. Because yeah. uh, I know what my experiences were like in Korea, but they I do this show so I can get people's perspectives in different places. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's that's actually a really important question to what led to ultimately where my you know where my work has led to today. Um, nobody expected me to walk into a classroom. So for listeners, um, I am Puerto Rican Cuban, uh, born in New Jersey, but Puerto Rican Cuban. And I look like the stereotypical Latina, which, you know, like kind of caramel colored skin, curly hair, very voluptuous. It's up now. So, but, um, and, and yeah, and, 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 and curvy, um, in a way that in, in Spain, they're, they're not, um, you, are you not as true? It's not, not usually. I mean, I know. I know. Just, they, they, I, I'm actually very jealous. They have hips. I don't have hips. So, you know, I didn't get that gene. Um, but, uh, um, they, so they didn't expect me to walk into the room to be their English teacher, which is funny because you think they would have seen a movie or two. Um, and that took place in the States and they didn't know what I was. And the way that I explain it to people is that I, I, Spain and, and Catalonia, because there's a difference, um, you know, that place um, has such a special place in my heart, even even with the tough experience that I had. And this wasn't the worst of it, but people saw me and they were like, um, first of all, what are you? What? I love that. What are you? Um, second of all, when they found out that the reason I look like this is because I came, you know, from you know, of Caribbean descent, they'd be like, oh, Latina? And I was like, yeah. And so often I got people saying, wow, you know, the Latinos here, I mean, yes, there's some Latinos that come here to study to be doctors, absolutely. Um, Then they go back to their country. But uh, a lot of Latinos here clean toilets and take the elderly. Wow, look at you. And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) um, because it was this genuine genuine they were genuinely impressed and not in a um, not in an outward like jerky way but it was really uncomfortable and racist you know um at least by our standards and they didn't see that so um that always led to interesting conversations and me you know as a teacher having to kind of do the politically correct thing and explain that well you know color does you know does not dictate um the level of education that you can have. Um, and um, then they'd be like, so, okay, so you're of Latina descent, and, and, but you speak English. You're American. You're American. Oh, God, you guys, you know, and now this could go in many ways. Um, you're very power hungry. You don't know where places are on a map. Um, you guys try to take over everything. Uh, Sometimes you got the good one, which was, uh, well, no, two good ones. You have great teeth, which I was always like, yeah, that's right. We have good teeth, okay? Um, <laughs> Interesting. You hear that, especially when Brits talk about it. Yeah. And I was always like, yeah, of course we do. And, you know, Colgate smile. Um, and the other good one was, wow, you guys could sell anything, which I thought was hilarious. Um, they were kind of thinking of, like, that 1950s, like, marketing salesperson with a hat and, a, you know, and a thogi and kind of like, hey, hey. Um, I, I mean, at least that's kind of what I picked up from them. And, um, you know, then I'd have to, you know, prove them wrong on that respect, saying, okay, you know, this is why Latinas and Latinos can be lots of things. Oh, and also Americans are smart people. We can know where we places are in math. We can be smart. 
We can be. Well, you know, everybody can be, but we can be too. Yeah. Um, and I do know where places are on the map, actually probably more than you do. Ha ha ha. Um, you know, I would, I would joke with them. And, um, and I would say, and actually I really have no interest in, in taking anything over. Um, uh, and then, and then we joke and then like, you know, as we got comfortable and the, the jokes about the, them being conquistadors and us being the modern day conquistadors would come out. It would get really funny, but like all these things to say that in an American classroom, this would never happen. Um, and I had to be ready for these conversations and not get heated because this, a lot of times these people were coming from a very genuine place. were very impressed that I, on two accounts, went very much against everything they thought that somebody that was Latino was and somebody that was American. Um, and so I would try to get them to see that um, there isn't one thing for any, for either of these things. And, and that was challenging, you know, even things like, you have a college degree? you're going back to get your master's? Oh, wow. And I'm like, why is that impressive? <laughs> why is that impressive? Um, so yeah, so it, it was challenging. And then you also asked me, sorry, you asked me about um, being a woman. Um, that, that plays into, um, the, I, I would say like that, uh, I'm very, I'm very outspoken. And if I thought that something was inappropriate or something was, not okay. I would say it in like a very professional way, but I would say it. Um, and women there are direct and it's not that they're not like that. Um, but I was a woman of color saying that and they weren't used to seeing people of color assert themselves in that way. Cause immigration, although it happens there, um, is still very young, especially compared in comparison to the amounts of immigrants we have in the States. Um, so for them, it was a lot. And coming from me, it was almost like a, bigger smack than from one of their peers. So that was challenging. And, and I don't even just mean in students. Um, I mean, in, in friends too. Um, I was always seen as a lot more of an outcast than I necessarily was um, because of my skin color and because I was a woman. I, um, thanks for that. Because it's, it's, you know, I can't see all of those things myself. Uh, and I think it's important to, sometimes I think that people who teach English abroad get sort of lumped together because of the worst of us. And I get it because they, the, those, the, the, I mean, you know, those people, um, but like, uh, and I, I mean, I knew those people, um, <laughs> and like, uh, those people are, I mean, the construction of what is a English as a foreign language or whichever acronym you want to use, teacher, is not fictional in the sense that that is literally what's marketed. It's marketed to the students and it's marketed, mm -hmm. marketed to the teachers. As, mm -hmm. You know, like there are research articles that I cite in my work that are work, my school work. I don't do it for work. <laughs> Uh, so it would be nice if I could do it for work. That counts. Yeah. That totally counts. Don't I worry. mean, yeah, I just, I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I wish it was my actual job, but it's not. Um, and uh, there's one I said all the time from Rooker and I, it's in 2015, and it's literally called uh, White English Teachers. So, nope, I don't know what the title is off the top of my head, so I shouldn't say. The point is, uh, it, it's about the recruitment of expat teachers and yeah. how it's... Um, they want you to have a college degree and mm -hmm. they want you to speak a native 
English. And that's really it, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. College degree so that they can cover their ass and, and, yeah. then, and then speak native English because that's what the, uh, the schools say that they want. And you, it's all, um, it's like a chicken or the egg thing, right? Was there someone mm-hmm. who was a student who was paying for a school who said, I won't go to the school unless you hire this person? Or was it whenever these schools first started to really blow up in probably the 70s or 80s, mm. did they all go out and get this person? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, where, where, yeah. where, where does, I know it's all of these things now, but where did the train start, right? right. You question. know, mm-hmm. it's something I'm wondering now because I was, you know, we're looking at all these baby clothes and there's elephants on all of us. I love elephants. Elephants are so cute. Right. But do I lo- do I love elephants because they're on every baby clothing or are they on every piece of baby clothing because little kids love elephants? Like <laughs> that's a silly comparison. But I'm just like, that's deep. That is deep. I like that question. <laughs> no, it's true. Right? I like elephants, too. But I, in fact, but I have it on my ring. <laughs> you love elephants because you love them or do you love them because you like do you love do you have many of them because you love them or do you love them because you saw many you know what i'm saying i couldn't tell you i don't know (laughs) it happened before your memory began so anyway the point is uh, it's like a big circle that it's hard to get out of right um Mm -hmm. and so you found it really important and this is something that i wish that i had done when i was in korea because wait how how old were you when you went to spain to work was right after college yeah, I was 22. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I'm not asking how old you are. Um, you can ask me how old I am. I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm 32 years old. I left Spain right before I turned 30, like a month before. Ah, so you were there for a long time. I was, eight years. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I did that the other way. Um, I was only in Korea for two years. And okay. I came back here after that. You know, the thing about Korea, which is obviously much more built up as a, you know, language teaching or English I should say English teaching place uh is that you like I said you you have to go to the embassy before you even go over there like right. in, in wherever country you're coming from mm-hmm. and um you know they give you visa visas for a year it's like very regimented yeah. to, to, to some extent but um what I found is that because I worked for a public school as opposed to some of my friends who worked for like private academies the public schools would give you a raise after the first year, they'd give you a raise after the second year, and then they'd give you a raise after the third year, and then that was it. Mm-hmm. And you, you maxed out. And this was not the the English teachers, this was public schools in general there. Like you got three raises and then you maxed out, and then the money that would have been a raise, I might be getting the exact action on this 10 years ago. Um, but basically, if you stayed more than three years in a public school, you might as well stay until you're 65 and then you can retire. Like, <laughs> like it was yeah. just like, they assume you're going to just live there, so it becomes pension. Interesting. Which is, you know, I can see, like, because if you're a teacher, they want you to stay in the same way that, you know, it makes sense. But um, all that is to say, I knew once I learned something like that, that I was either going to stay under three years or I was never going to leave. So when it came to the second year, I said, Justin, you got to make a decision. And I knew we all knew the people who had been there forever. And some of them were great. And some of them were, you know, in an extended arrested development phase. <laughs> and and uh, didn't want to like that. 
<laughs> I don't mean people who were there. Uh-huh. For I don't mean people who were there for eight years. I mean people who were there for like, you know, <laughs> like they've been there for a long. And that's just like ninety four. Right, oh my god! You know, you know. You know. Yeah, um, <laughs> anyway, long detour. But I, this is all getting away from the point that I think it, I did not do as much advocacy and activism there as I wanted to. Um, I don't know why I felt powerless, and also like being black and South Korean a little different. Um, not, not that better, not worse, just different. Um, sure. So I don't know that it would have gone anywhere uh, aside from getting me ostracized. <laughs> so um, what do you think that you've brought back from your experiences in Spain to your work here in the United States, uh, especially those experiences in advocacy when you talked about the organization and the collective action? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, and I think that question is part of the reason why I, I knew I had to leave. Listen, the, the lifestyle there for me, for me, um, was perfect. I mean, I rollerbladed I, everywhere. I biked everywhere. Um, the, the sun was always out, <laughs> always, always. Um, you know, people were really relaxed, you know, people work to live, not work to work to work to work like we do here. Um, and, and it was, it was a really healthy lifestyle for me coming back. And I knew exactly what was good, what difficulties I was going to face coming back. And I was right, you know, um, reverse culture shock is a very real thing, which is a whole other discussion. Um, but what I, the reason I needed to leave is because what I had learned over there was what the power of language and specifically learning languages through my method and I mean not mine but you know my combination of everything I had learned um being theater being TPR which is total physical response um if you guys don't know what that is I highly suggest you look it up it's it's amazing and I don't want to get into it now but um I know what it is but I don't know if other people know (laughs) oh yeah yeah no no I figured yeah 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 um and and um Basically, basically, it's, it's using movement um, and song to uh, learn language. Um, and there's a lot more scientific things that it kind of gets into, which is why it's kind of a hairy area um, to go into explain. But I want to stick to the point. But you should definitely look it up um, if you want to really read up on it. Um, so you, using a little bit of what I learned there, because I learned it there, um, CPR, theater, um, just from my experiences, um, I realized that you can really enhance cultural awareness and sensitivity through theater and language education, which is, spoiler alert, eventually what I called my thesis. <laughs> um, and uh, getting people over there to step into my shoes. You know, I would craft and create these lesson plans that were maybe around, you know, news of the week or an article that I had found that was really interesting or a movie clip or a TV clip or a song um, and kind of skewed towards so they could look at, you know, more people of color, more women in position of power, more women of color in position of power um, and talking about things that might be uncomfortable, um, but in a safe way, you know, and I think that, you know, if, if teachers are listening to this, I think they know what I you know, you don't just like toss it out there and go, ha, 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 you know, you treat your classes in a way that you can address things. Um, I started to see people go, oh, wow, I'm seeing more, let's, for example, say, um, 
Latinos and black people not in gangs. So I guess that's not all it's about, is it? Or they're not cleaning bathrooms and taking care of elderly. That's great. There's more to that. And, you know, these aren't exact quotes. I'm just saying that you started to see their perceptions change. And I was also very brutally honest about some of our traditions that have a hairy history, like um, Thanksgiving. You know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, don't you guys, like, you know, eat turkey and dress up. And this, this is a direct quote. And dress up as Indians. And I'm just like, oh. This one. Um, and so I would teach, I would tell them, like, so... If you're going to be speaking in English and you're going to go to an English-speaking country, particularly the States, don't say that, um, you know, and I would, you know, craft that and I would never make them feel like they made a mistake. But I'd be like, you know what, this is a great opportunity. I want to let you know that you should say, you know, indigenous people or native people. And, you know, I think that was the time in which those terms were kind of fluctuating a little bit more. Um, and I talk about, yeah, this, this started off as this, then it became this, and now here's how we celebrate it today. And here's why it's really nice. And then I would focus more on the food. Um, <laughs> And, and different things like that. Um, just getting them to take pieces of my experience, of the experiences of my friends, um, you know, even LGBTQ, you know, like talking about it in a way that was, you know, and I hate to say it this way, but humanizing it for them, you know, not making it such a distant um, subject matter. And I have to say Barcelona is actually very, very open, um, especially with the gay community. But, you know, that's not to say that it's not conversation that you shouldn't have in a classroom, especially when you're um, speaking about languages um, and language learning. So I, I saw all that work culminating there and, and the great effect that it had. And then, you know, what, won the, the election. And I saw where the country was going and I saw a bunch of kids that look like me, that look like my family, feeling scared. Or I saw people, you know, in my, that my uh, immigrated from Puerto Rico and Cuba. Um, and I saw, you know, like the refugee situation. I actually met a bunch of refugees because when that all exploded, um, I was actually in, gosh, where was I? I was in Austria traveling to Hungary and there were a bunch of them on the train. I was like, who are these people? Why is this? Like, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. And I got to like meet some of these people and they were telling me things. I was like, what, what's happening? Cause I was disconnected. I didn't have a smartphone at the time. Um, and so I started to think about these people coming into the situation here, you know, so it didn't have to be from my background, but people of different backgrounds, you know, trying to learn English to survive, trying to just get here, trying to. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I need to go back. I need to go back because ultimately I think I've done a great, you know, thing here in Spain and hopefully I've affected these people's lives that they can like take that and spread the good word of, you know, our stereotypes don't necessarily hold up. And I need to come back here and support people that look like me or that um, had similar experiences to my family or that didn't. Um, and that was important to me. I was brown, a female. And I always say this, I'm like, I'm brown, I'm female. And I'm very, 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 very loud. And I'm very, very unapologetic about that. And all my students were like, Jade, you're going to get arrested. This is specifically not a time for you to go back, which would make me laugh. And I was like, oh, you guys are so sweet. Promise me you'll bail me out if I, you know, I'm screaming votes for women or whatever. And, you know, it, we'll call it a day. And they were just like, okay, but we really don't think you should go back. And I'm like, no, this is exactly why I need to go back. I need to go back because I need to show immigrants and, and people that maybe have even migrated just from Puerto Rico or, you know, which is in our country, reminder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> friendly reminder. Oh, right. 
Yeah, I love that. I love it when you have to remind people of that. Um, just show these people, brown people, you know, all sorts of people, um, that they they can be welcome here and they are welcome here and that not everybody is like that. And that that's going to be temporary. I promise I'm ready to receive you. And that was just so important to me to pass that on to make sure that kids in particular were starting off with the right foot, that they understood that not everybody was going to be like them and that that was okay. So yeah, that's kind of what my work has kind of exploded into now. So now can you tell me a little bit about um, just the day-to-day about how you're incorporating theater into the language education? Yeah. Um, So currently um, I've got kind of two things going. Um, You know, by day I work at the Free Library of Philadelphia, um, which I've been at for um, a little under a year now, uh, which is amazing. And I am a bilingual early childhood education literacy coach and or literacy specialist, technically the term. And I go into North Philly specifically into Latinx um, child care centers and African-American ones. Although I was hired specifically for the Latinx ones, but um, I kind of, you know, I see everybody. Um, and I work on literacy initiatives with the teachers and the directors of those schools. So I kind of oversee any literacy-based activities um, within the classes. I try to enhance that to teach them, like, you know, my tricks to get them, like, kind of excited. You know, especially as a teacher, sometimes you can kind of become siloed into your own world and you need more resources. You need other people to be excited and other people want to contribute and, you know, somebody else's perspective. And so I get to kind of come in and do that and in both languages. So I offer um, dual language support as well as support in Spanish. Um, Because you'd be surprised that there isn't, you know, you have to really dig for the literature in that. And so they struggle because a lot of them are primarily Spanish speaking. And then the great thing is that they brought me in for my linguistic skills, but also because I have a theater background because I don't have an early childhood education background. Um, And although teaching language is part of literacy, it's not everything. Um, But they brought me in because of my theater skills and because of my perspective on classroom teaching and how to um, make your classroom come alive and get kids excited, and not just kids, but in this context, yes, but get kids, get students excited about learning, um, which is so amazing, you know, especially in, in, in North Philly, it's, it's a rough area. Um, and I don't want to perpetuate stereotypes. There's so much beauty up there as well. And when you meet people and you're walking around and now they know I'm the library lady. So they're like, Hey, I'm like, yeah, what's up? You know, so it's really funny. And, um, and I have such a good time with them, but you know, these kids, these kids get this opportunity from this amazing grant that the library has been provided, um, to get free books, um, brought to their classroom twice a month. They get materials. They get all these things. I bring in the activities and I help the teachers because my, although of course the kids are my main priority in my heart, I'm helping the teachers help the kids. And that's really nice. It's a lot of team development and working out, you know, what do you need? Um, what do you need in your classroom? You know, is it something as simple as um, oh gosh, I read, you know, Brown Bear a million times. How do I spice this up again? Uh, um, to, I just, I really don't know how to um, engage my students. They don't pay attention to me. So it's great. Um, it, it's a program I'm really proud to be a, um, a part of. So that's my day job. And then 
On the other hand, I um, am a vacation consultant, which, you know, a lot of the stuff I already mentioned in my other job, but um, I do conferences and workshops with nonprofits, with schools, um, and with private educators, if, if somebody is interested. And I basically, depending on what they are, so if they're an arts organization, you know, I bring in more of the language culture aspect. If they're language teachers, I bring in more of that theater and, and, you know, like kind of emphasizing the culture aspect. So depending on what people need, I help them to promote um, this other aspect to enhance their language learning, to enhance their, their theater skills. And it's been really, really fascinating. Like the kind of people that contact me asking like, Hey, you know what? I need you to come and talk to my teachers because they're dragging, they, they need something, you know, inspirational or, Hey, can you come to a workshop with my students? I need them to see why it's important for X, Y, Z. So, um, yeah, that's been great too. So that's, that's what my life is now. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my mom's family is from Philadelphia. Oh um, yeah. I was there for Christmas. Moment. Um, Oh, Hey, you were close by. Yeah. I, uh, so I know, I know Philly fairly well. Oh, um, oh you probably know it better than I do. I mean, I've been, I've been in the area only like three years, so. <laughs> I'm not from Philly. I mean, from here, but um, <laughs> like her family, my aunts, all of them mm-hmm. in and around Philadelphia. Nice. Um, and so it's interesting to hear because like when you're not from a, I find cities interesting just generally um, to see how they're shaped. And, uh, but there's things about cities that are the same and different you know what i'm saying mm-hmm, yeah because there is a comparable area in new york right there's an you know there's a north philly new york right yeah. i mean there's several of them but you know what i'm saying <laughs> I do. Um, and uh but it's, it's it's different because the actual population like you know the latinx population there is going to be a different kind of latinx from the population here and yeah taking that into account, which I'm sure you do. I'm just saying, like, you're aware of where mm-hmm. you're actually from and, you know, like, the differences between different countries and cultures and languages. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that I find it fascinating is because, not that I'm necessarily going to do anything about it, but I think it helps people understand that there really is a nuance and a gradient in all these communities, you know. You can only, in the research I do, that can only be so specific because if you're collecting any kind of data that you have to have categories to some extent but like uh that's why i find you know interview quality of data really interesting because then you can be really really specific with the people you know um you say this one person is like this and this is the exact thing that they have to say and it really uplifts the voice because i think i'm off of my own tangent now sorry no you're good um one thing that i notice that upsets me is that, um, you know, something we're talking about, because I'm in a qualitative methods class, and uh, we talk about how in, edu- in social, education and social science, the, the research that is given the top hierarchy is still like a big quantitative thing. And so it's always an intervention that is going to improve, you know, results on a test at the end of the day. Yeah. Right? And there's always this dilemma like me and my heart of hearts, or you and your heart of hearts, you know, you want to help them love learning, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how are we going to get the money if there is not proof that it eventually connects to mm-hmm. the things 
that matter to other people. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. And also, if I can interject, no, um, no. convincing institutions to generalize, but in, convincing institutions and those in charge of that, that this, that this quest to make people, I want to say to make people better because that's a terrible way to put it, but like to help people be more accepting as a whole, like that as a concrete um, mission, a lot of people have a problem with because it's not, it's not concrete to them. To me, it's really obvious. I'm like, of course, I want my child to be, um, uh, you know, as well-rounded as, of a person as, as they could be. Um, or I want, you know, my students, like all the students that I've had, I, I hope that they have full lives and that they're able to make the decisions um, that they have to make being fully aware of all the, you know, as fully aware of all the opportunities they have. Um, but also of all the different walks of life. And, and you know, I, I want all that. And, you know, I want to make people, you know, proud to be part of a world that's so diverse, proud to be part of a world that's so diverse, and yet they don't know everything about it. And it's exciting. And it's, you know what? I don't get that. But interesting, cool. You know, I want that. And it's hard to sell that sometimes. Um, and, you know, and, and you mentioned about money. Um, we're really lucky at the library. You know, my program in particular, because um, I'm technically hired through the Library Foundation, not the library itself. It's separate entities, right? Um, and it, it's, it's a situation in my job. Sorry. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's a nice grant we got. It's a nice grant. Um, and you know, this is the second year. So I entered on the second year cause they were able to expand. Um, and there's one more year of this iteration of it. And um, we're pretty sure that they're going to approve it for another iteration, but you know, who knows? And we're trying to prove that this has really made a difference because we're also trying to get the teachers. Um, cause again, the focus are the teachers. Um, we're trying to get the teachers to go from having their certificate to having an associate or having a bachelor's things that some of these people maybe didn't think of or didn't consider or thought it was too difficult. And we have all these resources that we can provide them to help them have a clear path there. Um, so it's, it's, it's learning on, on all ends. It's learning for the kids. It's learning for the teachers. And you know what? Somebody might say, you know what? I'm good with where I am. And we could be like, that's amazing. Let's keep doing that, you know, and having that choice, but having the knowledge and having it accessible to you. And I think that's the most important thing is having, access to knowledge and different walks of life and then being able to choose based on what it is that you're looking for how you're going to proceed with your life um that's my rant <laughs> you know i don't want to get into a whole ontological epistemological analysis of value of abstractness but like you know what i think is an interesting discussion is like for example you know, your grant writing, right? Which mm-hmm. terrible name for it, by the way. It's like grant request. It's really grant requesting. Um, yeah. What do you think about it? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> uh, grant FI. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, think about that real hard. That's actually great. Yeah, that's true. Because you're not right. They're they're giving you the money anyway. Um, <laughs> so when you do this, I remember participating in some grant writing. I was not the lead person when I worked at the previous job that I had, but he had to reapply for the grant that was funding my department. So I was involved. I gave him the information, right? And yeah. so he had to, I mean, these things, man, you have to write all this puffery in there about, yeah. it. it's just like, and, and like, 
you have to put in all this stuff about like like some of the stuff is really true, but some of it is just so you have to because then they, they then they'll feel like flattering, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, the flattering, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I get it, and especially because I work with adults most of my career, not in Korea, but since I came back, you know, mm-hmm. there's no like one adult test, not that there should be, but the mm-hmm. point is with adults, you often, unless you're talking about, and these many people got a degree you often really have to be pretty qualitative in your assessment of a program, you know, because a lot of the problem, problem, a lot of the things that we needed to address with the adult students we had was confidence. Like they would come in saying, my English is bad, my English is bad. And I'm like, you just said that sentence. Yeah, that was great. That was great. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I said that before in the podcast, but just like, it was more <laughs> of, I mean, it's the same thing like that um, Flores and Rosa talk about, right? You know, that it, Everything is, is, is framed through the unspoken white listener. And then the listener makes people feel bad about the way that they speak, and therefore they never speak. And no matter what one wants to say, it is true. You are not going to develop if you don't use your language. Um, and then I also think, because in one of the debates I was having last week in my class, is like I went to a private school growing up. And in my private school, I got report cards that were several paragraphs. You didn't have numbers, right? You didn't get a 96 or whatever. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, if you took a test, they still told you what you got right and wrong. It's not ridiculous. Um, and I still, <laughs> had, I still had like math class, you know, and if yeah. you, you know, if I learned algebra, they had to tell me what I did and didn't know. It wasn't like that. Right, right, right. But like my general assessment was qualitative. I wouldn't know it as such at the time, but that's what it was. It was paragraphs. Right. The thing about that is their idea was these will give a fuller picture of the person, right? A holistic view of the student, not just uh, a number. And it's true. It gave you more information than a number did, right? Mm-hmm. The problem with it is that the idea behind their thing is that it would expose you to the richness of the person. But if the teacher had some unexamined issues, <laughs> Then, yeah. they would, then they would end right up in those paragraphs <laughs> and right. so like I ended up getting certain report cards that looking back were like wait a second um yeah. where and so like so, so like this is what some people who are really really insistent upon the numerical aspect or the scientific aspect will say that the numbers don't have the biases in them but then on the other hand we know that the numbers have plenty of biases and so there's no way around it so the best thing to do i think is to just be as authentic as possible you know what i'm saying you know that's that's a great point and if you are more comfortable and more experienced and more skilled at your i'm talking about you now literally you uh Mm -hmm. brand of pedagogy then you should be as good at that as possible and not try to fit within the framework of what is being proscribed. I mean, yeah, look, if you just come out of college, you don't have any experience, and you can do what people tell you to do. But, like, <laughs> if, if you can, if you can, you know, like, find your way. One of the reasons that I think that I ended up staying in, although my job isn't specifically that right now, but staying in education is because my first year in Korea, I, I just, like, all they taught me before I went there was how to make a basic lesson plan. And I was like, okay. Um, but they didn't learn anything about teaching. And um, like, how am I going to keep, I had 40 teenagers 
who has never seen a black person before oh in gosh. front of me, and I was 21, right? Mm. And they were they were like 16. And they're like, "What is this?" <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. What? what? Wait, so this was this was your TEFL that only taught you how to make? Yeah, I mean, I took like a week long class. It wasn't in. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, like I paid like a grand, and then, you know, I did that, and then because I took the class. I got a higher salary, and so it paid for itself. Um, but I think all I did was learn how to make a lesson plan. And I got there, and we had like orientation that was more about like classroom management stuff like that. Just these giant four hundred person lectures and stuff like that. Oh my god, uh, really? Yeah, well, that's how many people were in the. Audience. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, mine was a lot smaller. Yeah. So and for a month, yeah. So well, that makes a lot more sense. Um, <laughs> so I get to class and I, I'm like, I, don't, I, I know less than a single thing. I know not one single thing about this job. Like I don't yeah. know a single thing that I'm doing. So the first year I was just like a robot. I was just like, right. uh, uh, I don't know. I'll do this. Uh, okay, I'll do that. And then oh yeah, no. I mean, I think that's everybody's like first couple of years teach. Even if they came out of a degree, you know, unless you had student teaching and time to fall on your face. It's it's nerve wracking. You can't even imagine in your position. And then, but the second year, I started being really innovative or trying to be. That doesn't mean I actually was good at it, but um, <laughs> I was was trying to be innovative. And I think that finding a way to really infuse yourself into your um, pedagogy is really important. You know, and important in terms of being the best you could be. You know, if you suck, yeah. then also it will it will show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because some people shouldn't be yeah. teaching, but uh, <laughs> absolutely, it, it will be it will be obvious if you put yourself into it. Um, I don't want to miss out on the uh, other things I wanted to ask you. So oh, when you, when you've tried to change things, challenge things in the field, what was some of the the resistance you encountered in your you know, from people who just didn't want to hear that because, you know, things are fine as they are, or for people who were really upset about it, or people who just didn't really get it. Like, you know, who, who's pushed back against you and what did you do in response? Yeah. Um, haha. Uh, I'm laughing because at first I was going to go in one direction and now I'm going to go in another because this is, you'll, you'll find this funny. Um, a school I worked at, which is where I learned the TPR. I love this school. Oh, I love the students. I still have them on my Instagram. You know, they're all like adults now and I want to die. But um, <laughs> they, <clears throat> it was uh, English through theater and movement school, which I was like, how did I happen to find the one place that's like this? Um, so I worked there for four or five years. Um, and it was me and another teacher. And he was lovely. He was from Ireland. Um, and became great buddies. He's still my good buddy. Um, and the woman that ran the school was this lovely woman. Um, and she was, she was Catalan, Catalana, but her husband was American. Um, so she like knew the American, you know, like she knew a lot, you know, a lot more than I think the average person did because um, she had lived here for a while with him and, and she had him at home, of course. And there were a couple of situations in which we'd have our teacher meetings and we'd be sitting there. So we have me, um, we have my Irish colleague and we have her and we would write um together um we would write rewrite um classic stories in a kid-friendly esl way um so it would be like the lion king but we'd add characters just to like you know give like all these kids a role and it'd be things like you know a scene with scar and scar was telling 
you know, the kids what to do. It's kind of like a Simon Says, but Scar was telling you what to do. So it was funny things like that. And it was so much fun. And it was, it would be like their final production. And that's a literal example of one of the scenes that we'd had. Um, and there came a part where she's like, oh, we need, we need more dance. She's like, we haven't inserted, inserted enough dance to like kind of fluff up, you know, and make it an hour. She's like, you know, we can't put these kids out there for things, speaking for the entire hour, they'll get exhausted, you know? And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, what do you want to do? She was, she was, um, I was theater basically. Uh, my colleague Brian was music and she was dance. So that's kind of like how, where our backgrounds were and, um, or this, our strongest backgrounds were, and that's where we came from. She's like, I want to add more dance. I'm like, all right, cool. What do you want to do? And she goes, <laughs> this is still one of my favorite stories. I, I really, I really want to hear where this is going. I know. I feel like this could go anywhere. I know. And she goes, we're going to do an African dance. Oh. I know. And I went, a what? And she goes, <laughs> an African dance. And I'm like, from where? She's like, Africa. I'm like, from where? She's like, Africa. And Brian's looking back and forth, like we're playing ping pong. And, and she's like, and I'm like, from where? And she's like, Africa. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't seem to understand what I'm saying. Um, where in Africa? And she's like, no, 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 just an African dance. And I'm like, ah. And I was like, well. Um, and she's like, no, it's going to be great. And so she pulled up a YouTube video. And it was, uh, and, and, and I mean, she typed in African dance. And to her credit, question mark, um, things come up. <laughs> and, and, and generic, general things come up. And, um, and there was like, something like, it was like earth, fire. Now, nobody can see what I'm doing, you know. Justin can see what I'm doing. But it was like, you know, um, kind of throwing your hand, kind of like jazz handing down at floor. And, and it was like, you know, earth. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was earth five kind of like jazz hands in the middle and then sky was above like kind of like you're raising the roof and it was all this stuff oh, and I was like just like yeah he's our hero right. um and she, and I was like listen you know boss I'm not gonna say her name but boss um I'm like I I get where you're going with this and I see how we might want some dance in this play but I'm like we can't call it African dance if we want to look up a specific area and a specific dance, I'd be a little bit more okay with that, even though I still have issues with that. I, and, and she's like, no, no, it'd be great. And she's like, and you could teach it. And she's like, and Brian, cause Brian's like, yeah, I can't dance. He's like, that's all you Jade. And I'm just like, ah, see also um, people already don't know what I am. And they're kind of confused. And a lot of people in Spain thought I was um, black, which is, you know, not a crazy thought. I could be mixed for sure, but I'm like, but I'm not going to go in and be the representative of Africa <laughs> and teach this African dance. I'm like, it's just, there's a lot of levels. And I'm like, and also what I didn't mention was there were two little girls in the class, in the class of nine, imagine, that were adopted from Madagascar. Um, now they were, they came to Catalonia as babies. So they were Catalanas like completely. But I'm like, and also, aren't we putting these two girls in a weird position, kind of like, we're doing this dance and then you know everybody and she's like no it'll be fine and then maybe they can explain how they feel about Madagascar and I'm like I don't know that they it was like all these things kind of spiraling into one I'm like I think that there's a lot more we're delving into um and in the end I just said listen I'm not teaching this it's, it's your school it's ultimately your choice you know I can't I can only tell you what I think um but if we're teaching them a language in which 
most of the countries they'd go to to speak this language would look at this like what is happening right now. Um, I, I just, I can't get behind it. So I ended up not just kind of like, you know, taking a 15, 20 minute break when she was teaching that dance because I just wasn't about it. Um, and another smaller, smaller anecdote was that we were doing Christmas Carol with the same group of kids and my colleague uh, took, <laughs> Brian, took one well, little girl from Madagascar and she was um, the ghost of Christmas past. I'm not really sure. I think she was something like that. She was a ghost of some sort. And and he put like white. Oh, no. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Justin, see what I'm doing with my hand. He he basically gave her like you know instead of a black eye, white eye, um, and put red right across her lips. You know what we would say now? Oh, it's the Joker. But we all know that that goes back to minstrel time. <laughs> and so I was doing somebody else's hair or whatever. And 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 this little girl, I love her. Her name was Maria. She's like Jade, look. And I turn around. And there she is looking like she's about to be in a minstrel show. But Brian didn't know, you know, he didn't do that on purpose. He just did something to make her look like a, you know, creepy. Well, he saw an image somewhere. And maybe, cool. maybe. I don't yeah. know. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think so, but maybe, who knows? And, and, and he happened to be on the, on the little black girl. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I just kind of smiled. And I was like, cause she was so excited. He was very excited. And I was just like, and I looked and my, my boss just said, Jade, nobody here knows what you know. And I'm like, that doesn't make it okay. Um, and I, you know, I, I, there was only so much I could do because I wasn't going to make this little girl wash her face and be like, this is why, you know, and, and possibly like traumatize her 10 minutes before she was supposed to go on stage, you know, and nobody did know. And I'm not proud of that necessarily, but, you know, it's kind of picking your battles and being in a situation where you're like, what am I supposed to do? I'm the only one that's obviously upset by this or thinking that it's not a good thing to like perpetuate because these kids could grow up and do this outside of here. Or, you know, this isn't going to be okay here one day, maybe. And it was, it was all shades of something. And there were a couple of situations like that in which like when I tell these stories, I tell it in a humorous way because it really was, I felt like I was in one of those sitcoms where you look at, you know, you break the fourth wall and you look at the TV and you're like, is this happening to me? Really? Um, but yeah, these were lovely people, by the way. I mean, they, they really meant no harm and they had no idea. But, you know. But that, I, mean, I feel like that's, the, that's, I have to go, but I have to, like, cord and edit and things. But uh, the, I think that's kind of the point, though, right? Because yeah. the, the people are nice and yeah. the stuff happens anyway. Some would argue they, that when you say things to them, the fact that they're nice is used as um, nope, not gonna quote my own article. Um, but <laughs> that, I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like, and like you, and that's what makes it hard because they're being nice and they're tr- and they genuinely do care about these people, but they care in this way that's a little bit, like it's just like a little bit. And you're just like, how do you tell someone who's well-meaning but also defensive about their well-meaning, right? Yeah. You know? Like, how do you push someone who's like, but I'm already just. Leave me alone, right? You know, because yeah. I think you talk about African dance and I, and I briefly, my very white private school in Brooklyn, um, they had an African dance class yeah. um, taught by an African woman who taught, she was like an, she was literally a dancer. Yeah. Um, and so, like, pretty much all the black kids took the class. They didn't have to. They chose mm-hmm. to. Because there was, the other dance classes were very normal, not normal, but I just mean mainstream. Um, okay. 
American. And so if they wanted a chance to do something, they had to take that class. And I always felt weird about it. I didn't have some big woke brain in 1996. <laughs> you know, I was just, I would, whenever they had a dance show, I would go see it because they were good. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's an argument to be made. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I understand the other perspective. And, and, and like you said, subsequently, I've seen a lot of African dance things advertised or other, you know, insert other generic title here. And, you know, and I know that Brian, who's still a really good friend of mine, my, my ex-colleague, you know, every time I bring that up, he's like, yeah, Jay, but that was your issue, issue of the people here. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. But we are teaching them this language. And with this language comes this culture. And he's like, yeah, but it's not my culture. And I'm like, it's not, like, I'm sure, I don't know. You know, and so all this to say that at the very least, it leads to interesting conversation. I think it does need to be discussed because, you know, what are we teaching? You know, um, do we understand that that comes with a cultural implication? Um, that we are sending these people out into the real world to associate, you know, a, a common a common mistake in Spanish um, is to translate the word. If you're t- if they're talking about a black person, instead of saying black person, they say the bad word because in Spanish it's a lot closer. So it seems like a more obvious translation, but they don't know it's the bad N word. They don't. So they say that. And it's, you know, unfortunately it is kind of like, you know, every American like, <laughs> like it looks like you've just electrocuted us, which is kind of funny to see the American's reaction. Um, even if they're not black. Um, and I was being like, so, so, um, so that's a really bad word. What we actually say, you know, and these things, and, and, and it's interesting. And some people would say, you know, well, it's not a big deal. Just correct it. And it's like, well, you know, you're, you're teaching your culture. Um, that's important. It's not just about, you know, correct tense. It's also about, you know, when you go to the States, if you go to South Africa, if you go to Australia, you know, what are, what can they expect? Yeah, I think I remember reading Little Prince and like <laughs> a couple of N words in there. <laughs> and like, because black in French is it, like, it's very clearly the word for a black person is the same as right. black color, right? right? It's just, it's just noir, right? It's just mm-hmm. black. Yeah. Right? So when it looks a little bit more like the N-word, it's very clearly that, right? It's not quite as close as Spanish, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and like this book was written long, you know, a while ago, but like I just remember like I read that book in eighth, ninth grade, I don't know, whatever, in French class. Like, I was in advanced French class reading it. And like, I was like, does anyone, does anyone notice? But, hold on. What's here? Wait a second. And I'm like 13, and I'm the only black in the class, and I'm just like, hey, hey, I feel like I feel like it's weird that I'm just sitting here, letting this. We're not acknowledging this. This is just happening, and <laughs> this is this is where I live. Anyway, Jay, thanks a lot for talking to me. Um, of course, interesting of course. conversation. It's gonna be a little bit before it goes up. Because That's fine. I have a couple others recorded so it'll it'll be added to the queue and then it'll go up um oh, and, sure. yeah just let me know oh yeah, yeah well, i mean i just put one up tonight before possibly going into a hospital so we'll <sighs> see that's what so else. exciting oh i wish maybe nothing that. maybe nothing will happen maybe nothing could be nothing 
Um, but soon, regardless. Yeah, yeah within, with, by the end of February. So. Yeah. Oh, well, I wish you the best. I can't wait to hear about when babe is born. Yes. And yeah, please stay in touch. Please stay in touch. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> 